today on Ag News Daily. Soybeans still have support from the unknowns of weather in South America. And that gives a little bit of support for corn, but not much right now. Now, when we talk to our people in Brazil, every time they, they tell us our real concern is the Safrina corn crop. Well, here we are, Market Monday, November 27th, 2023. Ag News Daily Podcast, Tanner and Delaney here. Delaney, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did, Tanner. How about you? I did. We got uh, to celebrate with both sides of the family, enjoy some really good food, and uh, that feeling that comes after you eat way too much food. You just kind of sit there and go, oh. Well, that's, you probably had tryptophan causing you to feel sleepy. I don't know. I didn't eat a ton of turkey, you know, so it's uh, just like I kind of preluded. I'm a big fan of all the sides that come with Thanksgiving. So uh, it just was full, over full. I also didn't feel like I got a break the week over the weekend because it just felt like we had more stuff going on. And then all of a sudden I was like, what day is today? And here we are, it's Monday. So that's correct. Where everybody's back to feeling like normal. We do have some of our friends in Indiana that whether it's normal or not, might still see some more snow. We saw flurries here over the last couple of days in Iowa. Most of that snow has melted. Uh, We are in below freezing temperatures for today and overnight into tomorrow, but Indiana's got a chance for another two inches of snow. They still had some precipitation that's following that system that pushed through the Midwest the last couple of days. Temperatures are expected for most of the upper Midwest to be near single digits tonight. Then we jump down south to the middle of the nation, eastern Oklahoma, central Arkansas, are seeing those wind gusts that we had experienced last week. Uh, Those are going to provide additional risk for fires, but Delaney, those winds may push some warmer weather back up to the Midwest towards the middle and end of this week. So uh, stay safe out there on the roads for our friends driving through snow and know that there might be one last little bit of fall left before we fall into winter. Well, Tanner, it certainly doesn't sound like that's going to be the case for California's Central Valley. They're getting some freeze warnings today into tomorrow. And that frost will likely reach the Gulf Coast early this week and also potentially hit northern Florida. So while us here in the Midwest might get a little warmer temperatures. Folks there will certainly not see those warmer temperatures here for the next few days, Tanner. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I think uh, I got to go on that trip down to learn about how crops are planted in Florida. And it's fascinating how you know they can plant and harvest all year round, but they still have that concern about freezing at 31 degrees. So uh, a lot different when you talk some of these different areas of the country. No kidding. It certainly is. Well, Tanner, I'll tell you what other headlines here, although it's a little slower here as folks are getting back into the swing of things after the multiple day weekend, it felt like there, but a USMCA dispute panel has rejected U.S. charges that Canada bends a rule to unfairly restrict American sales in the dairy marketplace. According to Canada's trade minister and agriculture minister, in a statement here recently, they said this is good news for Canada's dairy industry and our system of supply management. 
Not so good news, of course, for U.S. dairy producers, as U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai said the administration will continue to work this issue out with Canada, and we will not hesitate to use all the available tools to enforce our trade agreement. This, of course, is in relation to some potential tariff rate quotas that the United States contended that Canada had put on limiting the eligible share of quotas. And one on each of the four issues raised by the United States, the USMCA panel said on Friday that it has found, based on arguments presented in the panel's analysis, that Canada's measures are not inconsistent with the trade pact. So, of course, the United States is back to the drawing board here, Tanner, as far as the complaints against some of those tariff rate quotas are concerned. But, of course, the Canadian government is very happy that the WTO panel, or excuse me, that the USMCA panel saw their side of the things. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what type of play this ruling has in the dispute with Mexico and how those agreements are being analyzed as well. Maybe it's a precursor. Mm, could very well be, yes, as we get into discussions, and I'm sure lots of regulations about uh, their ban on GMO corn. Well, the swine, the swine epidemic in China could create issues in the pork market, and it's not the swine epidemic still happening. It's the fact that their herds are rebounding. China was the world's largest pork importer in 2022 for the fourth year in a row. However, its share of the world market was less than one-third of its peak when they were battling African swine fever. Demic was what caused the world's largest pork producer to have issues. That African swine fever hit their herds in late 2020 and 2021 when those first outbreaks were reported. The domestic pork market was still volatile during those time periods, but this is going to present an issue for the world pork market. Pork output plunged to an average of 18% below the levels during their 13, during the, the 30 months of their epidemic, which means as their herds continue to ramp back up, Delaney, that pork supply will hit the world market. As we look at what this did for their farms, it consolidated a lot of the smaller operations into large scale buildings. The cost of construction for all these new larger facilities is at the expense of their biosecurity because of ASF. Uh, unfortunately, this is something we're going to have to keep an eye on because as the largest importer in 2022, imports haven't been nearly as high in 23 to date, and there's not a lot of year left. What type of a story do we see economists predicting for 2024 is yet to be seen. Well, Tanner, another thing that's yet to be seen is what kind of crop we're going to see coming out of South America. I'm sure we will get Arlen's take on that coming up here in just a moment as we chat markets. But scattered showers over the weekend here have pushed markets lower as we head back into the trading week, full trading week here after the holiday shortened week. Brazil's soybean belt got quite a bit of scattered showers and the immediate crop stress in Brazil's soybean belt narrowed to about roughly 20% of their soybean producing country, although that 20% includes some highly productive areas of the central and western Brazilian belts. But those scattered showers here, Tanner, are expected to potentially continue moving forward with the southern production areas 
remaining under a pattern of excessive rains where they certainly don't need it. And some of the northern areas that do need rain do have some forecasted scattered showers in the forecast. So that will certainly be weighing heavily on markets here for the time being, but we'll get into this more in depth with Arlen coming up. That's right. The USDA is saying, though, that pandemic relief funds are still in high demand. Farmers have submitted applications for the Pandemic Assistance Relief Program that have exceeded the available amount of funds and applications have still yet to be processed. The Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 was put in place to help those who experience a 15% or greater loss in revenue for all of the 2020 calendar year compared to the average of 18 and 19. Sign up for PARP, which was adjusted to have a gross income cap of 900000 for those years being analyzed, is continuing to see extended deadlines. July 14th is now the extended deadline for these applications, but the USDA is making those applicants aware that as of right now, they already have more applications than they do funds. So we understand that there's a need right now we will go back to the table to see if there are other funding opportunities, but the administrator says the resources to meet this demand are not in place yet. The emergency relief program might have to adjust sources of funds, but again, those will be discussions, whether those come in the form of loans to Laney rather than just proceeds or forgiveness on other payments but they will take a look at the payment allotments, but it sounds like that crew has a lot more work ahead of them due to the amount of applications they've received. Well, Tanner, the European Union pledged here recently to support some rebuilding of infrastructure done by the damage of Russian missile and drone attacks, some 50 million euros to help rebuild port infrastructure specifically here for Ukraine. This should be very helpful for Ukraine as they're continuing to try and work towards some sort of rebuilding efforts. But Ukraine has also reached an agreement with Great Britain to subsidize, of course, those insurance coverage for shippers that are wanting to go into that area to go along with some support from Bulgaria, Romania, and Turkey for keeping the grain corridor functioning. Russia, excuse me, Ukraine is hoping to get infrastructure up and running and be able to ship some of that through the rail corridor through Moldova and Romania, but are still facing some headway there with some of those countries that are not so keen, Tanner, on having that Ukrainian marketplace or crop flood their marketplace. So certainly a step in the right direction here for some international support, but a long way from making things whole again there in Ukraine. Yeah, I see that as well. Still going to be a long ways from making things whole in the Gaza region. So last of my headlines will be updates there. An agreement has been reached and extended for a truce by two additional days. The Qatar government announced the extension will go into effect after the release of hostages on Monday. This is according to Israel's prime minister. Families of the latest hostages expected to be released by Hamas have been notified there are 10 more hostages on today's list to keep a pause in the fighting. This has now become a four-day truce in the Gaza region, which is slated to end tomorrow. This has marked the first major diplomatic breakthrough in the conflict and is, however, temporary, still made UN leaders hopeful, Delaney. Over the last three days, the Hamas have released uh, 58 hostages, primary women and children, 
and Israel has freed 117 Palestinian prisoners. So looks like there's some humanitarian efforts making progress in that region. But that wraps up my headlines for today. Well, Senator, I think the only other headlines I have for today is taking a look at our markets, which are just settling here as we are recording. And as I mentioned earlier, we saw some pressure heading into today's trading session coming to us primarily focused on weather in South America. Tanner, as we look at today's final trading session and where markets closed, December corn lost seven and three quarters cents to close at 4.55 and three quarters. As we take a look here at the soybean pits, Tanner, as we look at soybeans here, the January 24 soybean contract shed a penny and three quarters to close at 13.29. So we take a look at wheat today. They were not spared from the lower market prices. December Chicago wheat lost 15 and a half cents to close at 5.33 and a quarter. December hard red winter wheat shed 12 pennies to close at 5.90. And December spring wheat lost 13 and a half cents to close at 6.83 and a quarter. Taking a look at livestock and where they closed for today, also in the red. December live cattle shed $1.47 and a half to close at a buck 68.77. January feeder cattle shed the limit, expanded limit, to close at 212.80. And December lean hogs added 30 cents today to close at 67.87 and a half. Tanner, let's turn it over to our Market Monday conversation now with Arlen Suderman. Super excited today to chat with Arlen Suderman, the Chief Commodities Economist for Stonex. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, certainly did. It's always good when we bring family together. And I think that's kind of where we start being thankful. And, um, you know, we do have so much to be thankful for in this country. We certainly do. But coming off of that holiday week last week, Arlen, today we certainly had a bit of a bloodbath in the grain markets today. Is it all South American weather or something else playing out here as well? No, that's a good way to say it. And, and no, where we had the greatest weakness probably had the least to do with South America. South America is still an issue, um, but corn and wheat just simply don't have a story. And USDA kind of confirmed that in their last crop report that they released earlier this month. And and then when we, you know, the path of least resistance has been lower if corn or wheat doesn't have some help from another market. And eventually you break through contract lows or whatever chart support and you hit sell stops and you go another leg lower. And that's basically what we did. We saw December corn slip to the lowest level that a nearby contract has traded in three years, uh, nearly three years, not quite. And Chicago wheat did the same thing. Kansas City, Minneapolis wheat hit new two plus year lows. And so now it's kind of like the funds are going to take things as far as they can and until something forces them to change. In other words, we would normally expect to see end users come in and buy at these low prices, um, but they're being rewarded for letting the market come to them. And there's really not a story right now to turn things around. And that's what we need, a headline or something to turn it around. And the only real headlines we had today uh, were how Ukraine is working things out to increase exports and export shipment, export inspection reports from USDA. And those were pretty bearish across the board with the exception of grain sorghum. And we don't trade futures on grain sorghum. 
Yeah, it seemed like Black Friday was giving the end users uh, a heck of a discount if they were willing to take it. The news is going to be quite interesting. How long until winter weather plays here in the U.S. into these market conversations? Well, we did have some winter in the Central Plains over the weekend, and that probably contributed to some of the weakness in wheat, although I don't think it was a causative factor. But uh, some good moisture fell over dry areas of the Central Plains over the weekend. Um, but we're really not looking at any winter storms yet to this point that disrupt the movement of grain or increase demand by livestock consumption. So you know, at some point, maybe that'll happen. It typically happens with less frequency in an El Nino winter, although this has been anything but a normal El Nino year. Um, but uh, thus far, winter really hasn't played much of a role in the grain and oilseed markets. Arlen, you mentioned export sales there, and I noticed in your morning newsletter this morning, we've seen some lackluster soybean shipments, to say the least. How are we tracking this time of year compared to years prior, and also where the USDA expects us to be for this time of year? Yeah, if we look, first of all, at soybean shipments, we had a good fast start to the soybean shipment marketing year, and that starts on September 1st. Um, thought, okay, we're good, but we were concerned from the start that we couldn't sustain that pace because export sales were really lagging where they needed to be to hit USDA's target. I believe we were like 160 million bushels behind the seasonal pace on sales. And we did see the big nearly 3 million metric tons sell to China uh, a couple of weeks back, right ahead of Xi Jinping meeting with Biden. And uh, that was largely politically political in nature, it looks like. We've seen no indication yet that we're going to really ship those soybeans. Maybe we will in the future at some point. No urgency now. And the Panama Canal is a big problem with that. Um, because there's virtually no grain cargoes going through the Panama Canal from the Gulf of uh, the ports at the Gulf. They're having to go either through the Suez Canal or around the southern end of, of Africa, and that adds time and costs to those shipments. So China is taking primarily as much as they can from the Pacific Northwest and taking from, um, from Brazil and some from Argentina. They are taking some through the Suez Canal, um, but less than they normally would. In fact, the fourth quarter of the year is when we typically own the market to China. And this year, uh, the fourth quarter, China booked nearly half of its soybeans for shipment coming from South America, mostly from Brazil. So if you look at the numbers overall, um, the marketing year-to-date soybean export inspections total 641 million bushels. That's about 30 million bushels above the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target thanks to that strong start. But that surplus is rapidly disappearing at about 10 or 12 million bushels per week right now. On the corn side, it's it started out okay, but it's really turned off sluggish in the month of November. Marketing year-to-date corn export inspections total just 286 million bushels, which falls short of the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target by about 36 million bushels. And that deficit is rapidly growing now. Typically, we'd be shipping about 25 to 30 million bushels per week. We only shipped about 16 in the past week. And that pace nearly doubles then uh, to about 55 million bushels by the 
um, beginning of spring. Um, and such, so as such, corn shipments are really going to need to pick up the pace considerably in the weeks ahead to avoid USDA making additional cuts to their target. So, Arlen, with that being said, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of fodder for the bulls here in this market. And you mentioned that the path of least resistance continues to be lower here. What are you seeing as far as new areas for support for corn and soybeans with those factors in mind? Well, soybeans still have support from the unknowns of weather in South America. Um, and that gives a little bit of support for corn, but not much right now. Now, when we talk to our people in Brazil, every time they, they tell us our real concern is the safrina corn crop, the winter corn crop that's planted after they harvest the soybeans. Because since the soybeans were planted late, some had to be replanted. About 1% to 2% of the soybeans had to be replanted. Others were planted late. That's acreage that, therefore, if they're going to plant a winter crop behind the harvest, it's going to be planted later. That dramatically increases the risks in a year like this when the monsoons are weak and expected to end early. So we're at risk of getting a short corn crop in Brazil. But if that happens, that's not going to positively impact our exports until a year from now, until the 24-25 marketing year. So it's really hard to trade that now. Um, it's something to watch longer term to be a factor. Uh, on Otherwise, there's not a lot to support the corn market unless we would see things shut down as far as shipments coming out of Ukraine or start to see a sudden shutdown in shipments for whatever reason coming out of Brazil. On the soybean side, we do see things kind of supported until we have a better feel for the size of the crop. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about that center west area of Brazil and Brazil production overall. If you look at history, it's very difficult to get a lot of variation in yield in the center west area of Brazil. That's where Mato Grosso and surrounding areas are a part of that. Now, you can fit about five states of Iowa into Mato Grosso, or it's about 1.3 times the size of Texas. So it's it's a massive state. And, and this year's rains are coming. It's not totally dry. Now, there are pockets that are totally dry because the storms are kind of hit and miss storms, like we sometimes get in the Midwest in July or August. So some areas miss out, and you may have crops dying on one farm, and 10 miles away, you have really good-looking crops. And how that all blends together is the key question right now. We'll be releasing our updated customer survey estimates at the end of this week on Friday morning. But last week, we had a couple of private estimates from Brazil that said they're still looking for record production. In other words, where the excessive rains are falling in the south, the crop still looks amazingly good. That's a surprise. And so how that all blends together is going to be the key question. But unless you have something like a national 15%, you know, 12 to 15% drop from trend yield, you really don't have to increase U.S. exports. So therefore, there's no need to ration demand with higher prices. So that's the question. Is it a bigger drop than what we normally get in yield this year? Or is it more typical, something less than that? So we've had a lot of falling hydro supplied here in our area in central Iowa. How soon do we start wrestling acres amongst crops for producers here in the U.S. based upon where these prices are going to settle out? 
Yeah, typically we start focusing more on that after the January crop report. And that's the next thing that the market starts focusing on, focuses on South America weather really kind of up until then. And that, that kind of closes the books on the 23 U.S. crops and gives us a good feel what to expect out of the South American crops. And then the market starts transitioning to trading that battle for acres for this next year. Now, if you look going forward at what the economics suggest, it suggests that we might lose two to three million acres of corn this next year in favor of soybeans. How that plays out, though, is yet to be determined, frankly, by how much damage have we done in Brazil. If it's a, just a little damage, we'll probably buy fewer soybean acres away from corn this next year. If it's a lot of damage, then we'll probably buy more soybean acres away from corn. So those dynamics are still being shaped right now. Harlan, as we transition to taking a look at livestock for today, a feeder cattle had a really ugly day today trading the expanded limits lower. What pushed this market sentiment today? Well, we've been seeing kind of like what we saw in the grain and oil seeds hitting chart-related sell stops and kind of momentum carrying us to the downside. That's really been hitting in the feeder cattle market as well. And USDA in their latest WASDE report kind of confirming as we start off 24, we're going to be seeing similar beef supplies to what we saw in 23 because we pulled so many cattle forward. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't have some big holes in marketings later on in the year in 2024, but it's pretty hard to hold on to these big fund long positions in the meantime based on that, particularly when demand is at question here in the United States. And when we saw the live cattle market start to bounce today from Friday's big losses, that kind of helped support feeder cattle. But when those live cattle futures turned around and started going lower again to add to Friday's losses, that's when demand for those lighter weight cattle to put in the feedlots really hurt. And let's keep in mind, the feedlots are pretty full if you look at the plains and the southwestern plains. And there's not a lot of room for lightweight cattle right now. That's part of a factor as well. We also reported today on China, you know, making the turn on their recovery from ASF. How's that going to affect the demand for pork and what our pork exports look like? Yeah, I'm not overly optimistic right now. Um, they have had a higher incidence of a kind of a resurgence of uh, ASF of late, which is seasonal. I say of late over the last two to three months, that's a seasonal in nature, but their biggest problem is still an oversupply of pork relative to demand. And so ASF kind of did what the market needed to do anyway, and we continue to see the market kind of encourage with negative margins um, liquidation of the hog herd and kind of shrinking that size of the hog herd. The hog herd is bigger than what the government would like to see right now. Um, and so you've got that dumping of hogs onto the market as they do do some liquidation. Longer term, uh, we'll see if the demand comes back, but with the economy struggling in China, demand has been a real big piece of that puzzle. It used to be that pork demand was fairly inelastic, as we economists would say, difficult to ration 
with higher prices or to encourage to increase with lower prices. It was just steady pork was their favorite uh, fresh meat. But that's not quite the case anymore after ASF really drove prices to record highs a few years ago. People have learned to like other protein sources as well. So it's very difficult to really hang on to that demand and they're quicker to leave it now. Fantastic, Arlen. Well, thanks again for joining us today for Market Monday Conversation. If any of our listeners would like to chat with you a little bit more, where is the best place to find you? Uh, they can find me at stonex.com or over on X, formerly Twitter. Um, they can direct message me there. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. Fantastic, Arlen. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Well, there you go. Another great Market Monday conversation. Always good to get that information so our listeners know what is headed for them in the week coming up. Looking forward to more shows this week and great interviews, Delaney. But what do you say for today? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.